we're going to talk about subconscious mind. The subconscious mind never sleeps, never gets tired, never grows old. You see old people with Alzheimer's, they don't even know who they're talking to, but they could tell you something that happened in minute detail in 1930. Obituaries, they have a goal in their mind. We just came through the holiday season, and Jaden and I were discussing this, and I said, we'll watch the obituaries. I read them every day. And they went from one page to three pages. Why? You watch it around holidays. Because they had a goal in their subconscious mind to live one more Christmas, one more New Year's. It'll happen again a little bit around uh, Valentine's and Memorial Day or their birthdays. Why? It's programmed in their subconscious mind to live one more time to that. The subconscious is more productive than a computer. A subconscious will magnify and multiply. How many of you ever went back to where you spent time as a child and this big old forest that you played in was really about 100 foot across. Or the barn that you spent time playing in a barn and you thought it was 50 by 100 and it's really 20 by 30. Why? The subconscious mind has built that up and magnified it and make it bigger than it really is. And that's why we want to watch and be careful what really goes in to our subconscious mind. Try to remember, later it comes. Remember, everybody is what they see themselves as being in their subconscious mind. That's why it's so hard to relearn something that we've learned. It is programmed in this way, and to change that is very, very difficult. I had a friend, his son signed up. Um, they signed him at a million three hundred thousand right out of high school. Big old, tall, nice kid could throw a baseball through a wall. Left-handed, he had everything they wanted. He had developed a habit of cupping the ball when he put it behind his back. He would cup his wrist. They said we can change that because he's still young. If he'd have gone to college and pitched that way, we wouldn't change it because it would be so, so difficult he wouldn't get to it. Nothing succeeds like success and nothing fails like failures who just keep on thinking negative thoughts in their subconscious mind. And we get into what you call symptom and cause. You do not treat the symptom. You treat the cause. We've learned this working with people with addictions. If they're smoking dope, that's a symptom. The cause is a poor self-image. So you change how they see themselves, get them to do the things it takes to feel good about themselves, and they can kick it. If they don't, They'll keep replaying and replaying and replaying, you know. When you really think about this, uh, 
That's why Jesus died on the cross. So we could all be forgiven and bury it. He said in the sea of forgetfulness and never bring it up again. If you want the scripture for that, it's Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. How many of you know someone that uh, worked hard all their life? Good, clean living, worked hard. They never did take the time to learn to work smart. You can work smart and you can work hard. And it changes the whole picture to use what the Lord has given you to move ahead. Some people are programmed to see what's wrong and what's bad. We don't want to be that way. We want to see what's good. I had this guy come to see me and sit down and he'd tell he's mad. He said, I'm going to quit my job. I'm telling him, I just want to talk this over with you and I wasn't treated right. And I said, hey, man, wait a minute. Don't make that decision today. I am too. They can't treat me that way. I've been there seven years and on and on and on. I said, please don't do that. You're looking at one incident. Look at all the good things you have about that job. Really, the guy was uh, above himself. His brother ran the company, and he was above himself, and his brother was tired of messing with him. He got mad, bowed up, and quit. He lost his home. He lost his wife. He went to work for about a third of what he was making. But hey, with that deal, the way he saw himself, he had to do it. He had to show them. He had to show them. We've seen so much of that. There is more opportunity now, and there always is, that requires technological information. We don't have to be good at everything. You could get somebody to help you. Your judgment is just as good as the next person's. Go back in your memory to the county where you were raised. You pick it. They're all the same. And who is the richest people there? And when did they put it together? In most cases, it will be during bad times. How they responded instead of reacted to bad times. I know in our county, big farming county and cattle feeding county, they put the land together in the depression when most people were running and the banks had to repossess the land. They let people just farm it to keep the taxes paid. Uh, some guys that rent a place from a, from a bank's trust department and pay for it in one year and just keep gathering up land, gathering up land. I, in our county, that's, that's it. Most of them been to classes. The heirs of it, what happened? They responded to bad situations with a good attitude and programmed their mind. They saw... They saw the good. How we do this, honor your gut feeling. We use that so much and see it. You can call it gut feeling. You can call it cosmic habit force. You can call it subconscious mind. Really, it's the Holy Spirit. And when you start feeding your mind and reading and turning everything positive, 
you honor that gut feeling, it'll make you look like a genius. Go back in your memory when you made a bad decision. In most cases, you'll find you went against what your gut feeling was telling you. I can, so many people say, man, my gut feeling is telling me not to do that, but I did it anyway. Well, nearly every time, I know it is with me, every time that was a mistake, we shouldn't have done it. So do not be discouraged by contradictory people and opinions. Honor your feeling. Honor your feeling when you have that feeling. Let me tell you this story. I had a friend of mine coming to classes. He farmed down in the Olton community. He was in a barn working on a motor, an irrigation motor. And he said, Virgil, I was working on this motor, and I nearly had it finished, and I was in a hurry, and I wanted to get it done. He said, it's just a feeling came over me to go to the grain elevator and contract my corn. He said, oh, I just want to get finished. He just kept working, and he kept working. He said, that feeling just kept hammering him. He said, finally, I just wiped my hands off and got in my pickup and drove to the grain elevator. Went in there and asked the guy, the price of corn, I think it told him it was like five eighty a bushel. He said, man, that's pretty lot better than it was. It's pretty good. So I want to think about it. He walked, he said, I walked down the hall to Coke machine and got a Coke and just walked up and down the hall thinking and thinking and thinking. He said, in about 15, 20 minutes, I went back in the manager's office and I asked him, I said, what's corn done now? He said, well, it went $6. It just now ticked to $6. He said, I want a contract every bit of mine. In fact, I got a copy of the contract right here. He brought it to me. It was so dramatic. He signed the contract for all his corn at $6. Right afternoon that day, it started down. It never got back to $6 in that calendar year. What happened? He listened. He was tuned in and had his mind programmed to pay attention. So you will succeed if you fervently believe you can. Do the things it takes. Quit reliving all the bad situations. You play them over and over and over in your subconscious mind, you make them happen again. You have abilities that you're not even aware of. Bring them to the surface. Listen to it. Bring them to the surface and what? Turn them into service. Turn them into service. I had a guy come see me. He said, I need help. He worked for a big grain company. I said, what kind of help do you need? He said, well, they're going to sell this thing. They say everybody's going to lose their job, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. Start thinking of ways you can bring more to the job. Arrive a little earlier with a spring in your step, love in your heart, and a smile on your face, and be appreciative. Don't pay any attention to that. It's what we call jack it up a notch. 
With these old jack-all jacks, a lot of times you jack a pickup up, it's loaded, and you get it up, and you think it's high enough, you get the lug, and I say, oh, man, I got to jack it up one more notch to get this tire off. And a lot of times in our life, that's what we need to do. So he jacked it up a notch, and he started feeding his mind, listening to the Holy Spirit. He started listening to tapes. He started reading the books. He started going to prayer meetings. He changed his life. Well, and his family. What happened when they sold, he got transferred up into the Corn Belt where he wanted to go. That's where he was from with a better job and a big promotion. A whole bunch of them got laid off. What happened he reacted positively to negative situations. How do we do that? Listen to the voice of your inner being. Attack areas of your job that need help. Keep on moving when it looks like it's not the thing to do. Take an inventory of your talent and abilities and which ones you need to develop. You know, uh, I had an article in uh, Texas Monthly, Nolan Ryan wrote, and of course we all know old Nolan Ryan, uh, the greatest fastball pitcher one I've ever lived, and he was with the, with the Rangers there in Dallas. But this was before that, and he was quit pitching, but he was helping them in spring training. And this is a great article. I got a copy of it somewhere at home. I kept it because he said the young pitchers would come and maybe they could throw a fastball and a change. That was their two pitches. He said, everybody knows. He said, my days of being good didn't happen until I developed a curveball to go with my change up and fastball. And he said, they wouldn't work on what they wouldn't look good at they would work on what would make them look good. He said, unfortunately, they had another talent that could really put them in the high-dollar market, but they wouldn't take the chance of looking bad. Take it on. What do you want to get good at that you're not now? You can do it if you want too bad enough. They'll say, I'm not good at this or that. It could be, make a list, get it on, tell yourself you can start doing it. You can do wonders with your mind if you only adhere to optimism and faith. Keep looking for the good. What? Romans 12 and 2, by the renewing of your mind. And the mind controls the body. The body doesn't control the mind. And while we're at it, let's talk a little bit about what complaining does to the mind. It's cancer. It's cancer. If you want the scriptures for this, it's 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Colossians 3, 15 and 17. What's it saying? It's hammering not to complain. We know this in people healing and getting over things. Take complaining. Take complaining out. If you really want to see 
how violent the Lord feels about complaining. Go over and read Numbers. Read Numbers 11 and read the 16th chapter. Now, that's where he gets them. That's where he open tells Moses, separate yourself from them. Put them all together. And the ground opened up and swallowed them all, everything they had. Took them off the face of the earth. Why? Because of their complaining spirit. You cannot find success haphazardly. You must devote time and thought and energy to it. And then it will surely come. Keep on keeping on. Say, well, how'd you get ahead? I don't know. I just showed up. Well, that ain't going to work. You got to show up with a purpose. Boy, when that guy came out with purpose-driven life, that hit a chord with everybody. That thing sold over 30 million copies. Why? It struck a chord. What's our purpose? What's our goal? What do you really want to be having, too? I had a young man come to class an hour early to think and pray and get it ready. And he came, man, he busted in the door. I knew I could catch you. I knew you'd be here early. I got to, man, let me tell you what's going on. I said, what in the world? He said, well, they're telling me I'm going to get fired. The company's fixing to sell. He's a medicine company. They're going to get, they're just going to sell. I'm going to lose my job. Everybody there is. And blah, blah, blah. I said, hey, 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 who told you this? The secretary? Does she sign your check? No. What time you been getting to work? Well, I've been running a little late. I've been kind of draggy. I said, you need to change your deal. He said, what? You get there early. When everybody else gets there, you have your trailer loaded to go to the feed yard, and you have a smile on your face and thank them. Be the first one to leave and go. Be the first one to get there. Be the last one to leave and get everything ready and set up for the next day. What? Same thing. Smile on your face, love in your heart, spring in your step, and more appreciation. Well, he did that. The place sold. He's the one they kept. He got a big raise. He's bought him a place out in the country. He's happy as he can be. What changed? The way he saw himself. Don't look at it as a disaster. Look at it as an opportunity. The inner power that is dominant in our minds can be aroused by directing and holding only proper thoughts. Everybody becomes what they think about most. So what are we thinking about? Are we thinking about get ahead and more love and more giving and more caring? Are we thinking about bad and it's going to, everybody's going to go to hell in a wheelbar and it's your day to push it? No. Second nature, when you get to where you automatically can do it without thinking, you have fed your mind enough. It's like a, teaching a kid to catch a ground ball. When you hit the ground ball to him, if he has to think, get in front of it, head toward it, get my glove down, get my elbows fixed, and scoop up the ball, he ain't going to catch it. It's going to get by him. When he can do it and not even think, when we feed our minds so heavy, we automatically respond with love and with understanding.
and with reaching out, and more than that, with service. How's the service opportunity in this situation? That's how, that's how we move ahead. Why is the Dead Sea dead? Nothing goes out. We're just taken in. We're not reaching out with service and with loving concern. As a, a guy asked me to help his brother-in-law, and I agreed to. He was out of town. He took off. He was in trouble with the law. He had to come back to court. And one morning in a quiet time, it just impressed on me. It's been months since I've talked to that guy. I'm going to call him. I need to call him and find out what's going on. We've never done anything. So when I got to office, I called him. He said, how come you to call? I said, I just got up this morning in the quiet time and impressed on me to call. He said, this is crazy. I said, what do you mean crazy? He said, he just came into town last night. He hadn't been in town in nine months. I said, where is he? Oh, he's over here in a, in a dope den with a bunch of his friends. He won't go home. I said, well, let's get him. I said, call me back. Well, I didn't hear from him in a few minutes. I just got in the car and drove down there to where he was, walked in his office. He said, well, I've got him located. I'm not just a man he's stammering. I can't believe this. I said, well, let's get a hold of him. Long story short, we went over to this house, and this kid come out rubbing his eyes and got in the back seat. I said, let's go to the coffee shop where we can sit down and visit. Well, we went out to a truck stop, went in to sit down, and, and his, his brother-in-law that uh, went with me to get him, he got up and left and left us sitting there talking. I said, tell me what's going on. And he went through the whole thing about he'd committed a burglary and run through a door with a car, a bunch of crazy things. It was, And it looked like violence to the DA and the judge. He's fixing to go to jail for four 48 months, 48 months. And I said, well, how long you got before you go? He said, I've got, I've got a few weeks, and then I've got to go before the judge. I said, would you be willing to read and listen to CDs, go to church, and you just ride with me? You just ride around with me, and we'll wind up getting you a job, and you can go to work. Long story short, that's what happened. He started really reading, and this guy's bright. He's a very bright guy. He just was on the wrong program. So long story, he went, I testified for him in court. Well, the DA, when we went before the DA, the DA wasn't going to cut him any slack. He was going to give him the full 48 months in the state penitentiary. So we started thinking about and praying about how I could do it. Come to find out, I had a friend that was the judge's best friend. We went and talked to him, explained. He knew the family and agreed to give him shock probation. And shock probation is where they stick you in there for 120 days or so, and one day they just jerk you up and turn you loose, and you go home and you're on parole and to, until your time is done and you do it outside instead of inside. It's a tremendous program. 
for people that want to change and do right. So anyway, he got sent off, and he went. I looked up one day, and he walked in the office. I said, what are you doing here? He said, hey, just one day, I was 123 days in there, and this guard walked up to me at the prison farm, tapped me on the shoulder, said, get your stuff and come on. He said, I grabbed everything I had. He went up there and said, took me to my cell, said, get all your stuff out of here. We're going to put you in isolation. So they took him, went up there and stuck him in isolation. I why that? He said, that guard told me, here's what happens in there. It's crazy, y'all. If they know that you're going to get out on a certain day, the day before, they will create an incident to make you look bad so that you get more time added and you won't get out. I said, golly, what a terrible way to do. So he said, the next day, they put me in a vehicle, took me back up here to the county seat and went in there and the judge said, you're free to go. Check in with your probation officer. You're free to go. He said, there's a guy there that was headed over here. He just gave me a ride, and I just walked in here. He hadn't been home. He hadn't been. Uh, I said, let's get out of here and ride around. I want to hear about this where we won't be interrupted. We got in the car and turned and headed out Farm to Market Road, and I said, tell me, tell me, what was the thing that turned you around? He said, two things, Virgil, two things. I said, what are they? He said, when you told me the story that you would love me anyway, that there wasn't anything I could do that would make you not love me, he said, that blew me away because at my house, if I had a big football game and had an unusually good game, Everything was good for me for a few days until I did something they didn't like. I said, well, you need to forgive them. They love you. The fact is, our love is not based on performance. We separate performance from our love. You can be a good person that did a bad thing. You're still a good person, but you did a bad thing. We need to stop the bad thing. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. So you could be forgiven. Forgive yourself. What was the other? He said, when you explain self-image, and I got it in my mind that that's the way it is. I've seen myself in the wrong light. Long story short, he's never been back. He's had a very, very responsible job and got a family. What happened? the way he saw himself as being. And I said, you have done it on your own. He'd quit taking money from his estate and worked and made his own money. So that's the way we want to do. We want to learn to see ourselves and stop the complaining and do the things it takes to do. The road to success is not always easy, but you can help ease the burden by proper direction, by doing what it takes. Simple way to say it is, do all the things you can think of that makes you feel good about yourself. 
and stop everything that makes you feel bad about yourself. And sooner and sooner and sooner you'll see that you will become what you see yourself as being. So what are you planting in your mind? Your mind is going to reap a harvest. If you don't feed your mind on a regular basis, it's automatically filled with a negative because that's what you're exposed to. Read the front page of the paper. Listen to the 10 o'clock news and see. I wouldn't do that for anything. And don't read the front page of the paper. It's all bad news. Put in the good. Your mind is like a planted field. It is going to yield something. So what are we planting in it? You know, the farmer tries to plant the most valuable crop he can on the land because he knows that's what it's going to produce. Let me tell you what happened. Back when they're checking fields and seeing farmers all day, every day, there was a place up north of town that had rented to this really good farmer. And the landlord lived on the place. Is a perfect half a section had plenty of water. It was a great deal. They got mad at each other. It was terrible. I mean, it never did come to blows, but it was close. This farmer farmed a lot more land. One half a section wasn't nothing to him. He plowed that thing over just slick as it could be. We got some rain. He never planted anything. He let it grow up. Friend, let me tell you, it got high as a tractor. And he let it grow and grow and grow until it headed out and turned to seed, contaminated that place for years. It was terrible. They like they never cleaned it up, that valuable piece of land, all because he didn't plant a crop, he let one grow. What about in your mind? Plant what you want to harvest. If you want to harvest good, plant good. If you don't plant anything, bad's going to come. That's the natural deal. That's the way nature is. So what's the bottom line? Feed your mind. Feed your whole spirit on what's good and healthy and wholesome. Feed your mind on the Bible. Read some every day. It's not so much the quantity, it's the regularity. It's the regularity of feeding our spirit and heart and mind. And you'll notice a tremendous difference. You'll see the good and bad situations. And don't live in the past. Live in the now. What's going on now? Forgive yourself for what happened in the back. Replace that in your mind. We know that a, insurance records will tell you that a person has a wreck they're liable to have another one in the next two to three weeks because they're replaying the old one in their mind. We replay it, replay it, replay it, and we make it happen because it's automatic. We don't even have to think. We have programmed our subconscious mind to make it happen. So get in the now. What's going on now? Forgive yourself. Take that out of your system and move on and move on. You can be strong and look toward the future. Ignore past failures. 
it's like the instant replay. You know, we tell the joke, a guy lost $10 on the play and he 20 on the instant replay because he didn't learn anything. Hopefully we can get smarter and move on and quit making the same mistakes. Do your best and make the most of today. What's the best thing for you to do today? Wives and husbands point out good points instead of always pointing out what's bad. You cause it to happen. You cause it to happen. I like the story about Warren Spahn, the greatest left-handed pitcher. He was pitching. They were playing the Yankees. And the bases had two people on, I believe. There was somebody on base. Elston Howard was coming to bat, the left-handed hitter for the Yankees, great player. The manager called time and walked out to the mound. And he, he said, now, whatever you do, don't throw him a ball high outside. He loves the ball high outside. Don't throw him a high outside ball. Throw it low and inside, Warren. He said, okay. Manager walked off. What happened? By saying that, he programmed his mind. What happened? He reared back and threw him a high outside fastball. Elston Howard stuck it in the left field stands. What happened? He had programmed his mind. We can do the same thing by programming what's wrong, programming what's wrong. I had a guy call me. I really liked him. He called me and said, could you come out here to jo at the job? I'll beat you in the office. I got to talk to you about something. I said, yeah, I'll come by there. And I went out there and we went and he closed the door. He said, I'm having trouble. You know, I'm divorced. And my daughters live down here is a town 100 miles away or so, a little more. And he said, the only time I hear from them is when they want money. And I'm forever sending them money. I'm helping them, and their mother sicks them on me to get more money, and I'm making good money, and I give them money. But they never thank me. They never do anything. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, I'm getting where I just jump on them. I'm sick and tired of them driving right through here, headed, and they don't even stop and talk to me. They don't say nothing. They just leave me alone and call me when they want money. And I said, well, you jumping on them? Yes. I'm entitled to. I'm giving them money, and they need to be paying attention, and they need to show some respect, and on and on and on. I said, well, let me ask you something. If every time I saw you, I jumped on you and raised hell with you, what do you think? Would you want to see me coming? Well, no. I said, they're the same way. They're the same way. Change this. Make it pleasant. You're attacking. People shun when they're in an attacking situation. They don't want to be in that. It's human nature. Change your way you talk to them. Call them up and tell them you love them. Folks, he started doing that. He said, it's changed my whole deal. They bring their boyfriends up here for me to meet now. We go out to lunch. We have a good time together. I said, what changed? Well, you quit attacking. You quit attacking. Quit it. 
Talk about the good. Talk about the, what you can do. Is what you're doing today going to take you where you want to go? I don't know. Well, who does? Do you have a plan? We talked about that in goals. Do you have a plan to get where you want to go? And do you know where you want to go? It's up to you. God gave you that mind and use it. Start programming your subconscious mind to read this. If the mind can conceive of an idea, then the idea can become a reality. You can visualize yourself in some desirable situation, and then it can be brought about. I had this friend that invented the most popular feed box that they mount on trucks and feed cattle out of Dodge City, Kansas. Great guy. He sold it to some people. They wanted him to stay. He stayed. They took on a bunch of debt. Long story short, they lost the company. He lost it. Well, he had to get out. He lost everything, his wife, everything. One day I looked up and he walked in the office. I said, what's going on? He said, well, I want to come by here and see you. I'm on my way to Oklahoma. I'm going to go hide out. I've got this lady, and we're getting along real good, and I'm going to go over there and stay with her and rethink and start over. So I came by here. I want you to get a box and put all the books and the CDs and all the material you think I should have to reestablish myself and get going. This guy's smart as a hunting dog. So I said, okay, I'll do it. Give me a few days to think about it. He gave me the address. He was going to, I think, Ponca City, Oklahoma. So I gathered up everything I could think of that might help him and mailed it to him. He called me. He said, I got the box, everything in it. You didn't send me a bill. I said, well, it's free. You're going to regroup. It's going to be fun to watch you. So accept this as a gift. He said, well, I sure do thank you. And that was it. In nine months, he sequestered himself for nine months. She'd go, well, she'd had a beauty shop. She would go to the beauty shop and work. He stayed home and work. He started redrawing another feed box that would work better than the one he'd worked before. He just thought and thought and thought and planned, mostly visualization. When he finished it, he called me and said, I got this thing done over here, and it's going to be the best one there is, but I got to be careful. I'm afraid somebody will steal my patent, and I need to think about that a while, and I'll let you know what happens. Well, he wound up having an old friend up north that had a manufacturing place, and he made a deal with him to make him one. So they made one, a prototype, full scale, ready to go. Let me tell you, when he finished, he said the only thing he had to change was a plate, a metal plate that was six by eight inches. The thing worked perfect. Long story short, he's back 
got the building back, got the business back, got it all. He has more of the market now, not only in the United States, but the whole world. He's got the best feed box out there. What happened? He tapped his subconscious mind and started feeding it, feeding it, feeding it. And he got the right answer. He said, sold out again and got all the money he'll ever need. So if the mind can conceive of an idea, it can become a reality. Paint mental pictures. Paint mental pictures. Your attitude in your subconscious determines your future. How do you see it? How do you see it? I love the story about the guy that was in the Hanoi Hilton in Vietnam. He was there seven years. He was a pilot, got shot out, and they captured him at the beginning of the war and locked him up. It's terrible if you've heard the stories about it. While he was there to keep his sanity, he had been stationed in New Orleans, and he played a golf course there. He played it over and over and over. That's what he did in his mind to keep his sanity and occupy his mind. He would play that course. He had it memorized. He would play hole one and hit the ball and visualize it landing right where it was supposed to. He'd take his second shot. He did this on every hole over and over and over daily for seven years. No golf clubs, no golf, no nothing. When he got repatriated and they captured him, got him out and brought him home, they sent him to New Orleans. He was there again. He couldn't wait. He'd been there just a few days. He got the golf clubs and went to the same golf course. Now, he'd been shooting in the high 80s when he really played the course before. This time, he shot in the very low 70s. What happened? He had played it over and over and over in his subconscious mind and then his body made it happen. Hey, you can use this with anything. How do you see your relationship with your wife and your children? Start visualizing that. Visualizing them, responding to them, and to you when you tell them you love them and hug them and look out for them and become their servant. Hey, it can electrify the world, particularly your world, be a dreamer. Dreams are the key to success. Life is based on dreams. You got a dream, keep it, keep it, keep it. Very few realize that their attitude toward themselves is a reflection on other people. How do we feel? How do we feel? When someone is attacking you and bad-mouthing you and causing trouble, it's not about you. It's all about how they feel on the inside. You get a big old plastic trash bag and fill it up with stuff. You cut it open. What's going to come out? Everything that's in it. It's the same way. It's the same way with our mind. What we put in is what's going to come out. If you have faith in yourself, others will have faith in you. Your personal concept of yourself goes a long way in determining your actions and your behavior. How are we going to act? We have people practice 
What are you going to say when this happens? What are you going to do when this happens? Replay that ahead. How do, you, how do you see the other person? Everybody treats the other person like they see them in their subconscious mind. Do they see them as no good and they don't like them and bad attitude? That's the way you'll treat them. We want to see them as a child of God that God made and he loves. Well, they're not that way. Hey, we choose to look at them that way. And we're going to treat them that way because that's the way we see them in our subconscious mind. Crazy? Yeah. But it sure does work. Picture yourself as the individual that you really and secretly, truly want to be. How do you see it? That's the way it'll be. They yeah, did an experiment with this visualization thing. They had 20 basketball players that were pretty close to equal. And they divide them 10 and 10. 10 had a basketballs. They practiced. They practiced for a week. They had basketballs. The others, they didn't have a basketball. They had a chair. They would sit on the basketball court, say at the free throw line, and visualize the ball going through the hoop. See the ball going through the hoop. Feel the ball going through the hoop and they would do that and take turns and they did this for a week they had played a game before and it came out relatively even at the end of a week they rolled back the curtains and had them play a game the ones that didn't have the basketball that sat in the chair they beat the other team 20 points they were visualizing it visualizing it Crazy? Yeah, crazy. Success will come to you, and you can control your fate through the use of mental pictures and positive suggestions. I had this guy, a friend of mine, come to see me. He was working in a grain elevator with a bunch of guys, and he was older. He said, they got a trap-shooting team in the league down there, Slants, and nothing does them. They want me to shoot with them. I can't shoot a lick. I'm the worst shooter there, and it's embarrassing. All these young guys can beat me. I need to do something to get better at shooting trap. A lot of trap shooters use this stuff. I said, well, let's just try and experiment. Have your wife fix you a lunch. You get off an hour, I'm off an hour. I said, don't say anything to anybody. Take your lunch and drive out to the shooting range. Nobody's there. Take your lunch and stand at the stations where you know you're going to shoot. Don't take a gun. Just stand there and with a play-like gun, holler, pull, literally holler, pull, and visualize hitting the clay pigeon. And keep doing that every day. He did that. He was a lot better the next shoot. He did it another week. He became one of the best shooters on the team. What happened? He programmed his mind. His subconscious picked it up. It blew those kids away. They didn't have an idea what he was doing. Another friend of mine, he was going to a shoot in Roswell in New Mexico, and he had a friend. He said, I wanted to help this friend. He was into all this material. 
He read the books and listened to CDs and doing all this. He said, this guy's really struggling, Virgil. This, they're big-time shooters. And he said, on the way over there, this guy had been telling him that he couldn't hit anything and he wasn't shooting and blah, blah, blah. And he said, let's ignore that. And on the way to Roswell, let's practice mentally. Start seeing yourself hitting the clay pigeon. Start seeing yourself hitting the clay pigeon. They did that. It's 165 miles over there. They did that. <laughs> Crazy. He boasted them all. He busted a hundred. What happened? He programmed his mind to carry it out. So use mental pictures and positive suggestions and a positive mental attitude. It can only lead to health, prosperity, and happiness. I had my little neighbor girl that had moved away, and we've been programming her with all this since she was born. We babysat her free. They never had to pay a babysitter. We took care of her all the time. She stayed with us a lot. They moved down into Houston, started a school down there in the second grade. Well, she got to the fourth grade. They were going to have, we're doing this on the phone, and they were going to have a spelling contest. And she called me and said, Virgil, Virgil, we're in a spelling contest, and I've been practicing, and tell me what I need to do today. Today's the day I'm going to be on the stage, and I'm going to take the spelling contest. I said, okay, okay, baby, just settle down. Here's what you do. Let's try this. She said, okay, tell me. I said, before you walk out, pray and ask the Lord to clear your mind and help you think and visualize the word that they're going to tell you to spell. When they give you the word, you ask them to repeat it and let them say it again, and you repeat it and make sure it's in your mind and then pause and spell it. Her mother said, I couldn't wait. I watched her. Her mother was a teacher there. She went to the contest and said she did it just exactly like that. And it was she was the only fourth grader there. The rest of them were fifth and sixth graders. And she won the whole contest. First time a fourth grader had ever won. Her mother said they were asking for her autograph. It was such a big deal. What happened? She programmed her mind. There's no way... She's going to miss the word. I, I get so tickled about that because, hey, we can all use it. We can all use it. <laughs> okay, you can control your very being. You know, you hear doctors walk in and say, well, we're sorry. We've done all we can do. It's up to the Lord now. And that is when the prayer starts, and it's been going on, but we raise it a new level, and you can stand in there and hold them by the hand and say things like, you're going to live. We're waiting on you to come home. We're going to have a big celebration when you walk out of this hospital. You're going to get better and better and better and see what happens. Norman Cousins, you know, he... 
He wrote a book about it. Powerful. Do they all do that? Well, old Symington with his clinic, they just take people that are dying. They've told them they're going to die. And he brings them to his clinic. Over half of them get well. Why? They program their mind. They program their mind. So how do you do this? Give your mind the challenge that you want to meet right when you're going to sleep and then just go on to sleep and just relax and turn it over to your mind and let it sit there. It's like cooking, and it'll cook. And when it does, it'll become available to you. You can write it down. You can write it down. Napoleon Hill tells the story of being with R.G. Letourneau, and they, he had been on a speaking tour, giving some lectures. R.G. Letourneau was in Longview, Texas, and he's the guy that's famous for tithing backwards. He gave 90% and kept 10%. They were friends, and he was traveling with him. He was tired, and by the way, if you go to Gray County Airport there in Gray County, he had a whole row of airplanes. He had airplanes of all kinds. He was big on that. They were in one of his airplanes headed home back to Longview, and he told, he told Napoleon, he said, I'm going to take a nap. I'm kind of tired. Napoleon said, fine. He sat over there in a chair just thinking and looking. And then R.G. had gone to sleep for a little while, and he woke up and reached in his coat pocket, pulled out a pad of paper, and wrote some things down and put it back in his coat and just Bam, right back to sleep is like he didn't even wake up. Well, the next morning, they met for breakfast there at the prayer chapel. He had a prayer chapel at his place. They prayed every day. And they were standing there visiting, and he said, I'm kind of curious, R.G., about something that happened last night on the plane. He said, what was it? He said, well, when you said you'd take a nap and you were asleep, you wrote something down on a piece of paper you took out of your pocket and put it back. R.G. said, I don't remember that. He said, but I got on the same coat. He reached in his pocket and pulled out a piece of paper. He said, Napoleon, that's the answer to a problem that I've been working on. What happened? He had turned it over to his subconscious. He had turned it over to his subconscious. An essential factor in the use of positive thinking is to want to, to want to. Keep your dream. You must want to. You can't help anybody that doesn't want help because they won't help themselves. To advance yourself, this motivation must come from within. It's nowhere else. Nobody can use your talent but you. No one can use your brain but you. No one can use your intelligence but you. We're all moving one way or another. Are we getting better or are we getting worse? You know, you got to want to be helped. I hear a while back I was been to a funeral at the Catholic Church and the family invited me. They serve lunch for all the people that come with the family in their cafeteria, and we were in the cafeteria. They invited me to come, and I went. 
And there's a lot of people there, and we're sitting there having lunch. And across the aisle at a table, there was a whole bunch of guys. And this one guy, he's a farmer over there. He said, uh, hey, Slims, you think you could motivate me? Are you still doing that? He was trying to be make fun. I said, do you want to be motivated? Well, I don't have to want to be. You're supposed to be able to do it whether I want to or not. You know, I said, God can't even help you if you don't want help. No, I can't do that unless you want to. Man, the whole place just roared and got after him. Why? He's making fun. He don't want to be motivated. And when people are like that, they're going to put down the ones that are. So you got to want to advance yourself. This motivation must come from within. Once you believe in yourself and what you are seeking to accomplish, you will generate a force which will drive you to a successful attainment of your goal. In one of Dr. Peel's books, he tells the story of reacting and raising the energy and the effort against adversity. And when you do, and you figure out what it takes to raise the momentum, the drive, and the want to, and the effort, when you push against that, you will push it down, and you'll go to new heights. When America got out of the Second World War, and everybody came home, everything, boom, why? They had all this motivation and drive the momentum, push them forward. You know, we delivered anhydrous ammonia tanks for years to farmers. And every once in a while, you're going to get on a turn row that's got a mud hole in it. There's certain mud holes that you can get through with a trailer that you can't get through in a pickup. You learn with that 8,000-pound trailer behind this pickup you get going fast enough, it will shove you through that mud hole and come out the other side. Hey, we're going to all face mud holes in life, but we're going to generate with our mind, heart, body, soul, and spirit the momentum to shove us through and go to greater heights. What about in a marriage? Hey, marriages get stronger when we go through difficulty. What makes us get smarter? We're forced to. We have to. We don't have a choice if we want to do good. You generate. I'll tell you, it is so powerful. And nobody but Jesus can fix that kind of thing. We need to lock into his power. Well, you're going to do that. Reading the Bible. Listening to the CDs. Reading the good spiritual books. Feed your mind, feed your mind, feed your mind. Let your faith and your self-confidence be your badge of authority to induce others to have confidence in you. We're not going to preach this. We're not going to wear a sign around our neck. We're not going to take an ad out in the paper. You're just going to do it. When you do, people will recognize it and accept it better than if we're preaching it. Uh, a friend of mine asked me, he said, I want my nephew to come up here 
and you visit with him. He's depressed. He's not doing good, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. So when we met in his office at the Ford house, actually, we were sitting in there. I'd never seen this guy before. And I said, tell me what's going on. Well, you know, I bought me a cattle truck, and I'm hauling cattle for the neighbors, and I'm making some extra money. But I have a real hard time charging them enough. It just bothers me to charge my neighbors. And he was going through all this. And I said, you know what? Let's get you some material about self-image. You're performing a service. They don't respect that. They don't appreciate that because it's something for nothing. You actually make them feel like a taker. And here you are showing up before daylight and doing all this work, and you won't let them pay for that. It's not good. Long story short, he changed. He started doing it. His whole respect went up in the deal. He was elected president of the Lions Club. He was elected president. In all kinds of offices, he said, before nobody respected me, I said, that's why you didn't respect yourself. Do what you need to do to feel good about yourself. If you really believe in yourself and the purposes to which you are dedicated, people will recognize that, that you are equipped to do it. You know, it uh, sounds crazy, but remember this. Production cures the ills. If you want to know what to do, produce. If you want to know what to do, produce. And that takes the slack out of everything. I was doing some programs for a food company, and they had a guy there that was a sales manager. Good guy, smart, nice, manly, great family. And he said, would you sit in on our meetings? I need some help. These guys don't respect me. He said, I can say something. They just act like I hadn't said it. I said, you need to help yourself. You don't produce. They don't respect somebody that doesn't produce. That wears old. What you say doesn't carry any weight or credibility. Start producing. Make some calls. Sell something. Get some big orders, then they'll listen to you. Incredibility. Go back over there and read what Jesus said about the talents. It's so, so strong. A friend of mine took over a church up in Ohio, running about 600, deeply in debt. He didn't know it. He just took it. He felt like the Lord wanted him to go there, and he did, and he went. And he'd call, we'd talk about it. He says, here's what we're doing now. What do you feel like? Let me discuss this. We'd go, and we talked a lot on the phone. And I talked so much, and I would tell him, produce, produce. Production cures the ills. If you want to know what to do, production cures the ills. It'll take the slack out of everything. We said that so much that I could call up there and his secretary recognize. So you're that guy from Texas, aren't you? And I'd say, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I am. She'd put me through. He'd answer the phone. Production cures the ills. <laughs> it got to be a joke. Hey, and it did. He took that to the largest, fastest growing 
outreach church in the denomination for the whole United States. What happened? He started getting creative about how to be productive. They turned a vacant building into a daycare. They had a waiting list. It got so good. What happened? It turned that thing around. It turned it around. Why? Production. Only doing will accomplish. If you keep on, you will succeed. Feeling follows action. You say, well, when I feel like it, I'll do it. No. You do it, and then you'll feel like it. Make yourself do it. Make yourself do it, and you'll break that barrier and go to a new level. Avoid negative thoughts. There is no saturation point of new services, talents, ideas, or products. We've seen so much of this. They said, boy, the market's saturated here with fly spray or whatever it is you're doing. Hey, it is never saturated with service, with new ideas. You want to know what to do? How can you step up your service? What can you do that the rest of them aren't doing? Keep it up. Keep it up. See what happens. Hey, it'll vault you to number one. Avoid negative thoughts. Don't discuss shortcomings. It's so easy just to dwell on everything that's wrong instead of what's good. Stop discussing that. This kid I was helping that went to the penitentiary, I said, let's go see your mom and dad. He said, I can't, I'm not going. I don't go in their house. I said, you don't go to your mom and dad's. They had a house over that looked like a public library. I, he said, no, I don't go. I said, what the matter? He said, when I go over there, they're going to be glad to see me. And my mother's going to go to the kitchen, want to make me a sandwich or a piece of cake or something. And I'm sitting there with just me and my dad. And in about five or ten minutes, Virgil, he's going to say, well, you remember that time you borrowed your mother's car and going to the store and didn't come back for a day and a half and the left front fender was vented and boom, 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 boom. And he said, he'll just drag up every crazy thing I've done and throw it in my face. He said, I can whip him. I'm not going to, but it becomes a screaming match. And he said, Virgil, my mother will come out of the kitchen crying and saying, please don't act like this. Please don't do this. He said, I can't stand it. I won't go. I will not go. I said, I'll go with you. I don't care. I ain't going. I said, think about it. They need to see the new you. They need to see your expression on your face. They need to see that you really changed it. And I'll go with you. The minute it becomes unpleasant, we'll get up and walk out, I promise you. And they ain't going to mess with you, with me there. I'll do whatever it takes. He said, okay, I'll go. Go get this picture. We went over there. Boy, you could cut the tension with a knife. Sat down on the couch. Dad's sitting here and the mother's sitting there. We were sitting there visiting and they were looking him over and he was giving all the right answers. He felt so good about himself. And his daddy slapped the table. 
and said, what in the blankety blank are you doing helping us? We don't know you well enough to you to be doing all this stuff for us and just, i tell you what, I turned purple. And I said, you're right. I don't need a thing you got. Do you understand that, mister? I knew him. I called him by name. I said, I don't need anything. I said, my wife just went to New York shopping. I don't have to have a thing you got. But you can't do anything with this boy. And I woke up the other morning and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, would you please go see this guy and get a hold of these. He said, and that's what's the strange things about it. You just called on the very day he got back into town. He hadn't been to town in nine months. I said, that's not my fault. You'll have to blame the Lord. You'll have to blame the Lord. And start looking for the good. You can't help him. You can't help him. The Lord and I can help him because we see the good. He said, wow. I said, yeah, wow. Yeah. Change the way you look at it. You're digging up all the bad like you ought to be rewarded for it. It's always desirable to talk about new goals, aspirations. The repetition will firmly implant those ideas both in your conscious and your subconscious mind. You know, I had a kid. I'd known him all his life. We were friends. He got on drugs, got real bad. And he had a horror experience one night on an overdose of drugs. He was in a motel room out of town. And he said this story. He said it was a devil just appeared to me, Virgil. and said it was horrific. It was horrific. And he changed his life. It just woke him up. And he changed his life. And he was a great guy. So we'd be dealing with somebody, and I'd say, we're going to let, I'm not going to call his name, we're going to let him tell you what happened to him. And he would. Boy, he is good. I'd call him. He'd come down. He'd tell whoever this was that needed to hear it. One day he walked in. He said, I'm not going to do it anymore, Virgil. I'd like to help you, but they've got to quit it i got to quit doing that. I said, tell me about it. He said, every time I tell that, I relive it in my mind. It becomes so real, and I've got to take that out of my mind. I said, wow, we'll never ask you again. It's really something that you see this. The end of that story, that guy's a successful minister now. What happened? He quit putting the bad in his mind. I didn't realize he was having that kind of effect on him. We didn't know as much then. So, use your subconscious mind. Tune in to the Lord. Let him direct you. Above all, go back and go through the listening lesson about listening to what the Lord's saying. Pay attention. Pay attention. And most of all, obey. You know, guys say, well, Virgil, the other day, it's just like something was saying to me to do this and do this and do this. Pay attention. Obedience is the answer. Listen. Feed your mind, heart, body, soul, and spirit. Tune in. 
it'll shock you where it'll take you. Hey, it's like cheating. The Lord really loves you. How many of you ever picked up the phone and called your wife, your mother, a friend, or whoever, and they say, huh, I was just fixing to call you. Really? What were you going to say? See, we come right back with the question because we've been studied listening. And they say, well, I was going to ask you about this and this and this. Well, that's why I called you. I wanted to discuss that. Hey, it happens all the time. When you get this impression I couldn't tell you the times that I'd come in from work and on the way home from work, I'd be thinking, well, I wish Joan had fixed chicken fried steak tonight. And I walk in and come through the utility room. She say, hey, babe, uh, go clean up. I'm fixing chicken fried steak. How happened all the time. Because we're thinking, thinking, have you ever honored that, that you need to go see so-and-so? You need to go see so-and-so. I know enough stories about this to go for a week, and you get in your car, and you drive up, and they walk out. And this guy walked out of the grain elevator I had that. He's over 100 miles away. I drove up to his place, and he walked out. He, I didn't even get out of the car before he was out there. He said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I come to see you. You're on my mind. He said, I'm fixing to go do something crazy. I need your help. I'm so glad you're here. What happened? You honor, honor that gut feeling. Always you feel like you need to tell them you love them, tell them. You need to tell them. You need to tell them and do it with feeling. And actually do it with passion. Let them see how much you really care. Listen to it and honor that. And they'll respond in a positive way. Be sure and read, like the instructions say, be sure and read in the morning. Read the Bible in the morning when you first get up. That's when you're most susceptible to being trained. That sets your mind up. That sets your mind up for the day where you react positive or respond positive to negative situations. Hey, we live in a real world, and this is going to arm you with the right material to go face the real world. You know, Jesus said, what? I have overcome the world. What do we do it? By renewing our mind and do it on a regular basis. I had a lady come to classes, her husband owned half the town. She didn't have to do nothing. Sweet lady. She said, Virgil, on Wednesday, I don't have a hair appointment and I don't have anything I got to do. On Wednesday, and the maid's not there, I'm by myself, so I read all day Wednesday. I said, wow, that's a lot of reading at once. Yeah, it is, and I really enjoy it, and it's helping. I said, well, that's great. If you really want to do it right, read a little bit every day in the morning and read a book right before you go to sleep, and it'll be much more effective. Let the Wednesday be a bonus that's in addition. But the ones that, and we've had hundreds and hundreds of every kind of person you can think of do this, and the ones that read regular, read the Bible in the morning, 
and read the books at night and listen to CDs through the day when they have time, when they're driving their car. A lot of ladies do it when they're putting on their makeup. So I just take that CD and turn it on when I do my makeup. It's a great way to start the day. But don't substitute that for the Bible and do it just like it says. It will make your life electric, and you're going to love it. Thank you.